0: welcome aboard to Talk Eco and thanks heaps for your time as well, um, making time and busy schedules to come and talk about your research and um, what what you're up to. I thought we'd start with Tristan um, and just do a few introductions. So um, who are you and, and where are you studying at the moment?
1: So yeah, I'm Tristan and I'm working at uh, Macquarie Uni. So doing a PhD at the moment on marlin ecology, so looking at sort of changing marlin fisheries through time. But what I'm here about today is Project Kingfish. So when I sort of started PhD and PhD funding being what it was, I thought it'd be good to get a part-time job on the side. And I saw this Project Kingfish listed. It was a technical officer role, which involved a lot of working with anglers and stuff. Um, And since that's something I've done a lot through my marlin work, I thought, why not apply? And so now I'm the technical officer on Project Kingfish, which I've loved so far.
0: Awesome. And uh, Belinda, what about you?
2: Yeah, so um, I'm also a student at Macquarie University. I'm the PhD student working on Project Kingfish and I'm about a year and a half in now. So about halfway through the research here, which is pretty exciting, but getting busy now.
0: Yeah, definitely. Have you been enjoying it so far, Belle?
2: Yeah, I have. Honestly, the team's been um, incredible and working with Tristan and um, my supervisors, Fabrice and um, Hayden and Julian everyone's been so supportive and so excited about the research we're doing and seeing the positive engagement that we're getting is nice to have that external motivation to keep on working hard on the PhD, knowing that there's other people also interested in the work that we're doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is a first for a few reasons on this podcast in particular. Um, So this is the first external um, external group outside of UniSC. Um, so we're, we're making our way across the border into, into uncharted waters. Um, but also it's the first time we've had two guests on at the same time. Um, so I will do my best to, uh, give an even spread of, of the microphone, um, and sort of go between. But if you have any input at any point, feel free to chime in and, um, we're more than happy to hear what you have to say about this project. Um, Tristan, you said you're the technical officer on this project um, and and you're doing a PhD on something that's within the realms but also a little bit different. Uh, what was the journey like to get to that PhD starting at undergraduate?
1: Um, so in undergrad, I volunteered um, a fair bit, did a bunch of stuff I didn't like, some that I did. Um, and one of the things I did like was I volunteered at Game fishing tournaments. And I found that up until then, a lot of the stuff I'd done was very detached from stakeholders, from the community, and all that. And I really like working with people. So, because I really liked working with the anglers, um, and I felt that, you know, being with the people, your science is there to, you know, help, um, it was very like visual, very applied for me. So, I like that. And I did a master's. Um, I did a master's with the supervisor, well, with the person I volunteered with, so Jane Williamson at Macquarie Uni. Um, and that was on Marlin, um, specifically looking at stabilised ecology. And then when I finished my masters, um, thought, you know, I'm here now. Why not do the PhD? Because fisheries is eventually the goal. I'd love to do research there. So a the doctor title helps get through the door for sure. So that's why I started the PhD after that.
0: And it sounds like a pretty sort of. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be as bold as to say straightforward, but it was very one thing after another. Um, was that always the plan to be pretty Um, structured about it?
1: It was the plan to be straightforward. It's brand as straightforward, as I may seem. So during COVID, um, I ended up taking a bit of time off science. Didn't get a scholarship sort of straight away to do a PhD. Wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I actually took a year off and worked for a fishing company, um, Daiwa. So that was really different from everything I've done, more like warehouse-y, customer service-type work. So I did take some time off, and I think it was really good. I don't know that I'd have done all right on the PhD if I'd gone straight into it. So it's something, I don't know, I'd encourage if people need the time off, take the time off. But mm. yeah, aside from that, the plan was always to go straight into it.
0: Yeah, and it was a different time at that point as well. And it definitely seemed a lot less straightforward to make anything happen at that point.
1: Yeah, definitely. Especially if like your work involves, you know, working with people and traveling around the state, like...
0: It was yeah. a no-go. There was, yeah, exactly. there was no chance. Awesome. And and Bell, a similar sort of journey for you going from undergrad?
2: Um, Sort of. So when I started undergrad, I was doing a Bachelor of Science and I was always aiming to end up in medicine. So I always wanted to work with people and help people. Um, I wasn't quite smart enough, but at the end of my first year of undergrad, I did a um, field based ecology subject that was up on a void island in the southern Great Barrier Reef, working with flatback turtles. And when I was there, I was just like, oh, this makes sense. I want to go into marine science. So I changed my major. Um, and then was doing marine science the rest of the way through. Um, Then I did my honours. I was at UNSW for undergrad as well. So honours at UNSW in Ian Souther's lab, Um, quite a fisheries-focused lab working on um, fish on reef communities, looking at what their basal energy sources are. And then similar to Tristan, um, I finished my honours and it was in the middle of COVID. So ideally I wanted to travel, and obviously that wasn't going to happen. But I had a year off. I was just working in retail, didn't want to jump into a project if I wasn't super interested in the topic. Um, but then I saw this Kingfish PhD being advertised and as soon as I saw it, it just made sense. I always grew up fishing with my dad and my brothers and I was just like, oh, that just seems like such a cool project. And so I applied and, yeah, ended up here.
0: Fantastic. And has this always been a particular interest of yours and sort of moving forward now? you mentioned. It sort of all started in undergrad. Do you now have career aspirations that are towards that sort of marine side of things?
2: Yeah, definitely. So um, I always get a bit stumped by the question of where do you want your career to go? I find it a bit scary, but I definitely want to stay in research, especially at the start, in um, postdoc and everything. Similar to Tristan, I think I might want to end up at fisheries. Um, that'd be cool to do some academic research stuff with three universities, postdoc and everything to start off with. Hopefully try and travel with it a bit as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty great plan to me, that's for sure. Um, do you have any sort of um, teaching involvement at the moment uh, while you're on your PhD? We'll start with Belle and then move to Tristan.
2: Um, I don't really. Every so often I'll go back to you in a it- and do um just a guest lecture for my old supervisor there um i know tristan is involved in the bit at macquarie
1: i yeah i did do a bit of teaching especially through masters and stuff but we have if we're on a scholarship we have a total amount of um allowable work hours each um week um plus i mean there's only so much you want to work in a week um but yeah with with the kingfish stuff i'm pretty much at that cap so teaching i could potentially squeeze an hour here or there but it's just not worth it and I don't really need the extra stress. So not yeah, teaching okay. at the moment.
0: Yeah. Is that a goal you're looking towards in the coming few uh, coming little while?
1: Um, So my contract for the Kingfish stuff ends at the end of the year. Uh, potentially next year. Yeah, I could do teaching. I do enjoy teaching. I wouldn't say it's my favourite work. Like it's not a career aspiration for me or anything to go into teaching. But there's definitely something. It's very rewarding and it does feel like you're actually doing something that makes a difference. So I like that side of it. So mm. not too sure.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um, so you've both mentioned it now, and obviously what we've got you onto the show today to talk about is Project Kingfish. Um, and it's a really unique project, um, that caught my eye because I love fishing. Um, and I love everything to do with, um, researching populations that are important recreationally and commercially as well. So I wanted to start with Tristan um, and sort of get a bit of a background to what the project is um, and also the academics that sort of started it and are leading it through now. So so I'll
1: I'll let Bill talk about sort of academics and the research probably more. But I think in terms of background, I mean, as you said, kingfish are a species that is loved by the fishing community. Um, You know, back in a long time ago, um, there was concerns about sort of stocks, and then you know. Anecdotally, the, those stocks are doing well now and there's a big fishery for them. People love to catch them. Um, so because there's so much sort of love for them and care for them and um, a big fishery, we need to manage it accordingly. And there was quite a bit of um, knowledge gaps around that. So particularly in terms of their spawning, their movements, their connectivity and everything like that. So I think that was the need for the project. And I'll let Bell chat about where some of the rest came from there. Yeah, so
2: the two main project leads are Fabrice Jane, who's at Sydney Institute of Marine Science and IMOS, and Hayden Schilling, who's now at um, New South Wales DPI. And they worked closely with um, it's like quite a cross-sectoral project, cross-jurisdiction. Um, they worked with people who also work at New South Wales DPI. So Julian Hughes is in charge of the Kingfish stock Assessments in New South Wales. So there was a big Um, FRDC funded stock assessment to figure out why kingfish were defined as undefined in 2018 and try to identify the knowledge gaps that exist in all the states in Australia and a lot of the things like Tristan said that came up where we don't really know where their spawning grounds are, we have some theories but we don't really know we don't know the level of connectivity that exists for kingfish in Australia Um, and so yeah so that's kind of where our project came from. There was And because there is such um, an excitement in, like, the recreational fishing community, the pro team was successful in getting a Recreational Fishing Trust grant to fund the project. So at its core, our project is really, like, integrated with the recreational fishing community and their push and calls for trying to understand more about our stock.
0: And I guess that's what's so unique about this project and something that I haven't seen um, too much of is that involvement with um, just everyday Australians um, fishing out of their tinnies. Um, so I was wondering if you wanted to speak a bit more to that, um, Belle, in terms of what we'd describe as a scientific process that involves a lot of people who aren't immediately scientists.
2: Yeah, it is it is an interesting one. And I found, like just from a personal side of things, when I was studying there isn't that much transparency in some projects or really clear communication with the public on the research that's occurring. So it's really exciting for us. Tristan as the main driver for our communications with the fishing community. And I think he's one of the main reasons that the project has been so successful because he communicates it so well and he's so excited about it. But it's honestly been great getting the recreational fishing community insights. Um, so many of them, they spend so much time on the water and they would see so much more than what we do as scientists in a lab behind a computer and reading papers that you honestly can't even define how valuable that knowledge is. And for lots of them, it's decades of knowledge. Um, and so to see them excited about the research that we're putting out and really engaging in the posts that we're creating, um, yeah, it's honestly been great to great to experience and be a part of.
1: Mm. Just to add on that, and not just their, their excitement um and, you know, their knowledge helping us, but we largely couldn't do what we do without them, the research. So, like, all the analysis Bell does on the DPI tagging data, that's, you know, generations of fishermen who've gone out there, who've tagged kings through the DPI tagging program, and Then all the satellite tags, you know, our team's not exactly going to go out and get a whole bunch of meter kings at a bunch of locations. We've never fished and everything like that. We need those expert anglers. So, We couldn't do the science without them. So the hope is that the science then benefits um, Mm. them.
0: Absolutely. So in terms of that process then, you mentioned tagging and catching. Um, Is there a specific size that you're looking for? And then what's that process like in terms of actually obtaining those tags?
2: Um, So for the DPI recreational, just like the general tag recapture, fish, um, the, minimum size, the minimum size, I believe, is 70 centimetres. Is that right, Tristan? Yeah. Right. So that's changed throughout time. The project's been going, or the program's been going for 50 years. So there has been changes to that. But that's the, the streamer tags, it's 70 centimetres. But us with the satellite tags, we're targeting fish over a metre. So there's a few factors that go into that. Um, we only want to target kingfish that are sexually mature. So they reach, well, 50% of females reach sexual maturity at around 83 centimetres fork length. So that's about 95 centimetres total. Um, So we only want to target them. But then also due to the size of the tag, we want to ensure that the fish is as fit and healthy as possible to retain that tag. And we want to stay in for as long as possible because that means that we'll get more information and more data. Um, So, yeah, so like Tristan said, working with the recreational anglers, we had to identify individuals who really knew where these big fish were, could capture them well, handle them properly and you know ethically and make sure that they were released in the best health possible so that not only the fish is you know healthy, but also so we get the best data out of that.
1: And to answer the second part of your question is to how people can get involved. So the DPI tagging program, if you just type New South Wales DPI game fish tagging program online. They give out taggings to not just New South Wales, but all the states across Australia to tag any priority species. So it's not just kingfish. It includes marlin, sharks, um, snapper, a whole range of other species. But any angler who, you know, consistently catches, and even if you don't consistently catch um, target species, hop on their website, have a look at what they tag, and you can get involved. It's really awesome. And when you do get one of your fish recaptured, they send you a certificate with all that info, all the back and forth, so you can really learn a lot from it. So I really recommend anglers get involved.
0: This episode is brought to you by Leaderline Apparel. Leaderline Apparel offers a minimalist approach towards modern fishing clothing with a range of simple yet stylish embroidered fish logos across t-shirts, caps and hoodies. Their clothing range has something for everyone and offers the perfect balance between the worlds of streetwear and fishing. Based on the eastern coast of Australia, Leaderline's apparel range is inspired by the unique and popular fish species of the area. LeaderLine Apparel is committed to providing their customers with high-quality clothing and is proudly designed and manufactured in Australia. Exclusive to TalkEco listeners, we are offering 15% off orders with the code ECO15, that's eco 15 in the checkout until October 31st. That's a TalkEco discount using ECO15 for 15% off all orders so in terms of building that project and and moving forward um when when a fish is tagged and um, it's been collecting data for a certain amount of time does that tag naturally come off the fish
2: yep so all of our tags are pre-programmed to stay on for a, a determined amount of time the satellite tags um so It's kind of a way up between how long you want the tag to stay on, but then also the quality of the data. So the longer the tag's on, you have to um, make the data a bit less high quality, I suppose you could say. Um, It's binned a bit more broadly across a day rather than every 10 minutes, say, you get data for, um, just due to the battery of the tag. Um, So once it reaches that date, it'll automatically corrode this little pin um, and it'll, it's slightly buoyant, so it'll float to the surface and then start to transmit the data to um, satellites. So for us, it's a bit of a scary one. We don't want to hear from the fish for a long time, but then once you haven't heard from the fish, for, we have some fish that have been sitting around for nine months, and so it's a bit scary just thinking, oh, I hope the tags are still on the fish and are working and they haven't just been eaten by something else. But I suppose that's just how it is when you're studying a marine animal and they spend all their time under the water
0: absolutely and what are the likelihoods of it actually being eaten what's um, what are the main predators of these like so you're talking about meter long kingfishes that's not a small animal that would eat a satellite tag as well
2: yeah so I suppose sharks can eat them um, other big predators in the ocean um, they're also really prone to uh, because they school other kingfish could pull the tags out of them themselves oh. it's basically like a floating lure um, so you can imagine it's attracting a lot of other fish coming up. to have a look at it. Um, they also rub up on structures, which could pull the tag out prematurely as well. Um, but yeah, the tags in general from other studies, they is, you know, every study usually has one tag that just doesn't transmit at least. Um, so yeah, you just got to try and use the best procedures as possible to implant the tag and just hope for the best.
0: Um, so I wanted to touch on uh the practicalities of studying such a specific species um and you were saying before um tristan that you're also involved with the marlin side of things and and a few other species what are some of the challenges that are faced when you're looking at such a specific group um because you're not able to go out and catch you know or you can't guarantee that you'll catch a lot of them
1: yeah so that that's that's one of the big challenges obviously you know you you have limited resources, right, whether that be time or funds or everything like that. So you can't be on the boat, you know, you can't have someone on the boat every hour of every day waiting. Um, And sometimes it's really hard because those windows, you know, being pelagic fish, they'll show up for two, three days at the other side of the state. So all of a sudden it's quite a hard window. So that is a big challenge. Um, and to overcome that challenge it's required us to be quite flexible, quite mobile and work with, you know, experts. So like having, again, a benefit of having those anglers on board is, we don't have to be everywhere at once. If there's an incredible bite somewhere else, one of our champion anglers, you know, is usually there on the site. So that's been really helpful and that's one of the ways to overcome the challenge. But, yeah, like touch wood with Kingfish so far. At least we've had, you know, a few. We haven't had any out of this world poor season or anything, which is um, more than I can say for the last couple of years of Blue Marlin, but that's okay.
0: For sure. Um, we'll definitely have to get you back onto the show and and talk about some blue marlin stuff. That sounds like exciting. Um, just quickly to touch on it, does that also involve the citizen science side of it?
1: Um, a li- little. I don't. I so a lot of the data I'm using is from the DPI game fish tagging program. So same thing that is that citizen science program, and hundreds of thousands of marlin have been tagged. they are I think the most tagged group in the um, the tagging program so yeah there's there's a lot of that and then also all the samples i get you know whether they kept most of them are kept food or you know weighed at tournaments so i just go to tournaments and collect all the samples there so no marlin is sort of killed for the research they're just opportunistically sampled so again couldn't do it without the citizen science of the great you know, recreational England community
0: and i guess that's such a unique thing about um this sort of research is that you're across multiple projects you're doing multiple things and As as busy as that gets, you've obviously got, um, you know, you're able to have a broad reach across um, different ideas, different processes. So that's really exciting stuff. Um, In terms of hands-on processes and maybe towards Bell here, um, was fieldwork uh, an opportunity for you that you were looking to grab a hold of for your PhD?
2: Yeah, definitely. All my favourite parts of undergrad and throughout my honours were definitely um, the field work or the um, field trips. So I really wanted to have some aspect of that in my PhD. Um, like Tristan said, we obviously can't be on the boat every single day and there's a lot of work that we have to do, the, all the riding up and the arguably less fun stuff that just is important. Um, but we have been fortunate enough to get out on the boat a few times ourselves. Um, we've both been out in Sydney. We were really blessed to be able to go across to Lord Howe Island and tag a few kingfish there and it was incredible to see the fishery over there. Um I'm also doing quite, I did quite a few bit of stuff in the lab. So I was extracting otoliths, so the ear bones from fish, which is not very glamorous. Um, but then it was amazing. I got to go down to Australian National University to their labs down there and use some incredible machines as well to extract stable isotopes from the ear bones. So a bit of lab work, not definitely not as heavy as some other PhDs that are out there um, in the field or the lab, but I still get the nice mix.
1: I'd just like to add, because I think Belle may have undersold, when she says a bit of odolith chopping, she was chopping kingfish heads that were frozen, unfrozen, frozen again, unfrozen, so they smelled pretty bad. They were massive. So she's sawing these huge skulls to find, you know, essentially a needle in a haystack, and all this while we're on a tropical paradise and there's a million other things you could be doing. So that was... Yeah, days spent in a reeking lab on essentially paradise.
0: So out of out of interest, um, you're taking the ear bones out of it to get stable isotopes. What about the ear bones is such an important factor to that? Can you get stable isotopes from something else than the fish?
2: You could. But um, so specifically with the ear bones, they lay down growth rings similar to how a tree's trunk grows, lays down rings. So each new growth ring is essentially a little time capsule of the environment that the fish was in at that time. So from the um, odourless that I'm collecting, I'm looking at the course, the first ring of growth for the fish when they were little babies and trying to determine the stable isotopes of that environment. And from there, trying to figure out the temperatures that they were first, first exposed to as babies. So we have some kingfish that were donated from aquaculture. So we knew exactly what temperatures they were at. So I could kind of, um, you know, validate those isotopes, or those temperatures with the wild caught kingfish. And then hopefully from there we can, like, kind of work backwards and think, okay, if these baby kingfish were at this temperature, maybe that's the temperature that, that they're spawning and breeding at.
0: What's that sort of process like in terms of... Um in terms of time frame, how long does that general process take?
2: So I've had a few setbacks in terms of machines being down. So there's obviously a lot of things that are just out of my hands. Um, the actual extraction process um, for ex- zapping the coat or listed turn the isotopes was I think four or five full days in a lab um, and the machine was running 24 seven. So we would put in odorless that so was running overnight. It, um, to extract each point takes about seven minutes, and I was taking six points from each odolith and about a 100 odoliths. Yeah. So, yeah, that's quite time-consuming. Um, and, of course, the extracting the otoliths from the fish themselves and then having to polish them down and mount them and everything. So the whole process was at least a month or so. Um, but then, yeah, of course, there's the other little variables that come in and the unseen circumstances where a machine's down here and there. And so you're always going to get a few setbacks.
0: So, along with that, is there any side of this project that looks towards um, genetics of kingfish?
2: Not specifically for my thesis, um, but we are taking genetic samples from all the fish that we tag, and we're also taking opportunistic genetic samples, like from the fish I took the otoliths from. Um, So, they're there, we've stored them, there could potentially be future research into that, Um, but of course, you know, doing your honours and then PhDs and stuff, there's only so much you can do with your time and it's hard to determine exactly what your chapters are going to be They're just we're really spoiled for choice with this project there's just so much data and it's just figuring out exactly what we're going to use
0: which can be a daunting thing but also really exciting as well and get to get to have a bit of a say in in the direction you take, which is pretty cool. So, um, a really unique part of this project, which has particularly caught my eye, is the involvement of external sponsors. And I was wondering, Tristan, if you could speak a little bit to that, and um, feel free to name drop anyone that um, is involved with this project as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. That's one of the big things that we wanted to do is um, organize fishing competitions as part of this. So there's a couple of reasons for that. One is to promote awareness and sustainable angling. So a lot of people go out, get a fit, you know, go out for a fish, catch a fish, and when they catch the fish, they they keep them because that's what you do. And absolutely nothing wrong with that, but tagging's an awesome alternative. And once you've got a feed, you can tag those next few. Um, and, you know, while that's, you know, common practice for a lot of people, a lot of people aren't even aware tagging's an option. So through competitions, we hope to promote that awareness. Um so we run these tag and release competitions and have been in all over you know the state. We've got a big one coming up in October, November for anyone who's keen. Um and as part of these tagging competitions, we've reached out to fishing companies, you know. Um so in particular, fishing stations been a huge sponsor throughout. Daiwa has helping us with our big upcoming one. We've had um EKF, um Eden Kingfish um company um help us out as well. So we've had a few companies help us here or there, um, as well as like game fishing clubs like sydney game fishing club have come on board and sponsor and all that's to essentially you know put prizes more prizes the more sort of incentive there is to take part in the comp to get tag and releasing and then once people sort of start tag and releasing hopefully through our competition then you know hopefully we've motivated them to tag for years to come so that's that's where the sponsors play a role and they've been awesome um in helping out with that
0: that's such an exciting part of research that I think is going to become more and more included in um, how we're able to do um, the best job available. And I guess what you particularly touched on there, that incentive for other people to get involved, because as much as um, good results and and, um, knowledge that comes with that is an incentive, um, it isn't always um, the easiest priority to put forward for the everyday person.
1: Definitely. And just getting a bit of prizes and stuff, even if that just gets them putting the first tag in. And once they've done it, like, oh, that was actually kind of fun. And then it gets them going more. And the other thing that comes with sponsors that I didn't touch on is um awareness. So they, you know, as soon as fishing station or Daiwa are on board, they reshare our stuff, they promote the competition themselves, and they just have such a big reach to such a wide variety of fishing community. And both you know, most of the companies who've worked with us are already quite champions um, for sustainable angling. So yeah, they help promote that even more um, and already have a good community of people who follow them for that.
0: You touched on um, a break that you took from study as well and, and talking about working within that industry. Um, how did your experience there help with either making those connections or even just understanding the processes related?
1: I think it was really good. So I worked with um, Dire Australia in their and their services affairs department. And um, I think it's good because, I mean, like in an industry um name you know honestly any in industry a lot of people outside don't really understand how it works and you know it's very easy to sit there and be like oh you know why don't they sponsor this why don't they sponsor that or why aren't they giving this but once you've worked in there you see what the company objectives are and obviously every company wants to do good but they have to you know they also have their own you know priorities and stuff to get done and it's sort of a balancing act you know they can't just give out their entire stock for free or they'd they'd go broke so i think really working with it under you know gives you a good understanding for the company objectives or what they care about and how best they can do it. So it was really helpful for understanding that.
0: So then looking back on the project as a whole, as a whole and we'll move back to Bell for this. Um, what what have we learned so far generally about um, Kingfish? So we touched on the stable isotopes, the tagging procedures. What are we actually looking at in terms of long-term results?
2: Yeah, so long term we want to ensure that we have the best management um possible that we can so my first major chapter um has been using the new south wales gpi game fish tagging program data so and also using tags from the new zealand game fish tagging program which we got access to so over sixty three thousand kingfish have been tagged over four and a half thousand recaptured and we've been able to identify some really interesting movements of kingfish and identify um connectivity between states. So that's kind of the first step, looking at these these kingfish, they're all managed individually by each state fisheries jurisdiction. Um, So looking at how we can best manage them collaboratively between Australia. And then from there with the satellite tags, we're trying to identify some spawning grounds. So we've already seen just from some preliminary um, tracks that we've shared with our followers, um, kingfish spending a lot of time offshore, um, different habitats, quite large movements as well in relatively short time frames. So all of our tags that we deployed at first but only for three months. Um, so we have a few fish now that are getting closer to a year. So hopefully we'll start to see some seasonal changes in their movement and behaviour and potentially, you know, going between states and everything like that we have seen with the tagging program data um, but yeah, it's still a work in progress. It's still a lot of data crunching, um, but yeah, we've already identified some really interesting movements and behaviour of the kingfish so far.
0: Awesome. Um, and then in terms of where you're looking for um, the future and um, just future, um, I guess what would be published down the line as well. You're talking about spawning grounds as well.
2: Yeah. So hopefully, trying to identify. Spawning grounds. A lot of that's um, determined on whether we actually pick up some spawning behaviour in our activity data on the tags. Um, but hopefully, at least through the odourless data, we'll be able to, able to identify the temperatures that they're potentially spawning at. Um, and then, hopefully, some future research will include some modelling as well. So, modelling the habitats that are suitable for kingfish now, and then some projections of where suitable habitats in the future may be with the increasing um. Eastern Australia Current, ocean warming and all that stuff. So trying to predict where kingfish dots will end up and how we can manage them in the future as well.
0: And in terms of that data that you're looking at so far, um, is and and only being able to tag the fish that people catch, are there concentrated areas that are sort of getting a lot of tags put out and and a lot of kingfish there and then um, less so other places?
2: Yeah, so we definitely see that a lot in the um, Citizen Science Recreational like, gamefish Tagging Program data. Of course, there's going to be a lot more concentrated effort around highly populated cities, even areas that have higher awareness about the program. Um, we've only seen since the 2000s Kingfish being tagged in South Australia, but just since then we've seen some really interesting movements and connectivity that we didn't know about prior to that because there just wasn't any effort done there. So it it is sometimes a tricky data set to work with because you have to always be aware of the limitations of the data you're working with. Um, But obviously, it's still great data and it's still providing us insights. But with the satellite tags, we're trying to spread the effort as much as possible. We're trying to um, target all of the New South Wales coast and then we've got a few deployments in other areas as well. Um, and across different seasons but of course we're also limited by when the kingfish are actually showing up so there hasn't been a, many around for the past couple of months so yeah there's a few different limitations to it I suppose.
0: And fingers crossed they do make an appearance at some point um, yeah. It's so starting with Belle and then we'll move to Tristan um, what have your experiences like being on this project and are you excited to continue on? And you're obviously a year and a half into it. Um, how how's morale so far?
2: It's been really good, honestly. I think everyone's just so excited by the research, especially when a tag pops off. We're all so eager to see where it's gone, and I think that's really nice. Being surrounded by people who are all equally excited by the work you're doing. Um, you know, we've done field work together. We've gone to conferences together. And we all just get along really well, which helps because obviously it's just natural to have little lapses in motivation, especially when you're concentrating, as we mentioned earlier, on one species for what's going to end up being three or more years. Um, it's nice to have people around you that really help, you know, motivate you and their understanding when you're going to have those little dips and everything. But, yeah, it's been great. And then how well Tristan's like been communicating with the recreational community and then oh, their encouragement and engagement, it's, it's, it's been really nice. Not that it hasn't had its challenges, of course, you know, I'd be lying and every PhD student who'd ever done it would be like, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but it's been really good and it's been a lot of fun and always learning something new. And it's been good to also for me to go home and tell like my dad and my brothers what we're finding out because like they're so eager about it as well, which has been really good.
0: Absolutely. And Tristan, um, with contracts sort of um, within view of coming to an end, um how's your experience been on this specific project
1: it's been really good um i mean the, the hardest part I mean, the biggest challenge was managing phd and this um and time-wise sometimes especially because kingfish and marlin marlin seem to shop at the same time so i'm very 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 busy for a couple of months of the year um but yeah overall it's been a really good experience and it's been really eye-opening you know you you sort of do a lot of research and phd but yeah, this being sort of, at least for me, my first real science job. Um, the expectations are completely different. The sort of work I've been doing is completely different. Um, and, yeah, it's it's been interesting where, you know, when, you, when you're when you doing your PhD or your honours, you're sort of leading the project. But here I get to sit back and watch Bell, you know, do amazing, like, research and stuff. And I just show up to the meetings and see awesome, like, um, you know, the results, the tracks, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, and it's, yeah, and I find it very motivating as well because, bear I'm, especially if I have a lot of people on the team just some awesome research that I wouldn't otherwise be exposed to. So then you then take that back to PhD and think, shit, I need to start, you know, maybe doing a bit more. So
0: Yeah, no, it's good to try and grab a few bits and pieces and and make Bell do all the hard work and then (laughs) take credit for it in your own stuff. Something like that. (laughs) Um, So in terms of just sort of wrapping up, it's been – Um, one of the most interesting discussions that we've had on the show and a lot of different perspectives and and processes. Um, We'll start with Tristan obviously moving into the industry now and and still being in that PhD space. Have there been some important lessons that you could sort of ring off um, that that really have stuck with you on the way through?
1: Um, Absolutely. I think one of the biggest ones i found with this is being a technical officer, I'm much more, a bigger part of my role is liaising. So like I, you know, I message a lot of the people, whether it be organising fish tri- fishing trips, organising for anglers, the field work officers, like a bit of everyone. And I just think that that's so important. So many of the opportunities we've had have come from who we've worked with and all that. So I just think, you know, don't just miss everyone, work with as many people as you can, you know, everyone, you know, and, even some of the, you know, the young keen anglers who might be 15 years old, they've got something to offer on on social media. So I think the most important lesson is, yeah, listen to everyone. Um, make as many connections as you can and give back as well to those people and they'll be willing to, to give to you. So I just think that's so important.
0: And, Bell, moving into the second half of your PhD now, um, what what are some of the things that you're carrying with in terms of what you've learnt and, and what you've heard from other people as well?
2: I think some of the biggest things I'm just trying to tick off as many tasks as I can as I go. Um, a lot of people have said try to publish as you go as well, which obviously is another stress, but publishing my honours was why I got into a PhD. So I'm trying to, you know, keep that motivation up Um but it'll be interesting, like Tristan said, his contract's up at the end of this year, so it'll be, it'll be a big change not having him in the team um, as directly. Of course, we'll still I'll see him around union and everything, but hopefully we can keep that momentum going on the social media and everything without his magic. But, yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm, like, yeah, just trying to keep the motivation levels up and just take the wins where I can and, yeah.
0: And... Uh... You mentioned before that there's there's a lot of data, there's, there's a lot of work going around. Um, is this particular project open to other postgraduate positions or um, people looking to jump on board specifically at your university?
2: So there isn't any projects advertised at the moment, but we're definitely in discussions about if they would potentially bring on honours students or postdocs. Um, so I guess stay tuned, keep your eyes peeled. There may be stuff popping up Um but, yeah, they're definitely background
0: conversations that have been occurring. Awesome. If only yeah. I was actually looking for, for a project <laughs> to jump on. Sounds
1: awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to touch on that as well, I think, as you know, the more science you do, like, you you know, you go in trying to answer a question and you answer that, but you now have five more questions. So there's yeah, definitely a lot more avenues.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we touched on it earlier in terms of how how fishing um is involved and, and how people can can get involved. Um, in terms of people who maybe don't fish and are just interested in um, in what's happening in the in the research world, um, how can people reach out or or be able to watch the journey of this project?
1: Um, if I mean if if they're inclined to read scientific papers, that's always one go. But obviously, that's not um, accessible for everybody. So the alternative is through our social media. Um, We do our our best to try and, you know, share as many of the results as we can, you know, and that includes some of the work we do in the office, some of the, you know, the awesome tracks Bell produces. So all the figures you see and stuff, that's all Bell's work. Um, And that it could include, you know, satellite tags, DPI movement and all that sort of stuff. So we try and share all our results as simply as possible through our social media. So anyone's welcome to follow that.
2: So project underscore kingfish on Instagram or Facebook. Facebook. Or Facebook. And we'll yeah.
0: definitely be posting links <laughs> and, and keeping an eye on the project as well. Um, and I guess, um, for this, for this specific industry and, and where we're all working, I'll be definitely keeping my eye out at conferences and, and, um, yeah, looking, looking to build those networks and especially outside of, um, the university that we're all at um there's chances for, you know, those cross uni relationships and um to be able to keep building on research that everyone's everyone's got the same goals and we're all trying to move to the same same point. Um so it's exciting to hear that there are those opportunities and um yeah, I I'm looking forward to hopefully coming back to get a few project updates and um yeah, hopefully hopefully be able to see where this where this all goes. Um, is there is there a chance down the line of um, this moving sort of to international waters or a or broader scope outside of New South Wales?
2: Um, so we're trying to, we're working on hopefully deploying some tags in New Zealand. Um, our funding for this specific project is through the New South Wales Recreational Fishing Trust. So at the moment, we're um, really focused on that Eastern Australia kingfish stock. So it's all the way from South Australia up to Queensland and across to New Zealand. Um, but there is some other tagging programs that are going on internationally. I know there's a big one for dolphin fish. Um, so there is lots of things popping up. I don't know about for us, but definitely New Zealand and Australia.
1: We've definitely had a few people reach out um, through social media um, from South America, from, you know, African countries, like other countries where they do get kingfish, saying, "Oh, you know, we really like your project. Is there the opportunity to have this?" So, you know, well, if nothing else, you know, even if we're not the ones who do it, if what we've done here helps motivate kingfish research elsewhere, that'd be awesome to see.
0: Mm, absolutely, and either way, it's all contributing, and and there are those opportunities, and and now you you guys are on the board as well, and. There's, there's opportunities for you as well. And I think that's the most exciting thing out of all of it is your own personal careers and journeys are being propelled forward through, through this really unique, um, project. So yeah, I've, I've really appreciated talking to you and, um, looking forward to catching up at, at later points and getting some updates, um, especially with plenty of data to get through. Um, and yeah, thanks, thanks heaps for your time.
1: No,
2: thank you thank been a bit of having us.